This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Welcome to our auto expert for this week, uh, an absolutely packed show. We're going to get to talk to uh, Kevin Hellman about the new Dodge Challenger. Uh, we had that at Run to the Sun, the Northwest Automotive Press Association event. We're also going to talk to Russell Datz. There is a new system called Care by Volvo. Uh, Megan, do you know they can tow your vehicle for life? I did like not know that. If you, I mean, not for your whole life, it wouldn't be in tow. But what it means is that if you own a Volvo, any Volvo, it could be a 1968, a 1978, 1988, 1998, 2008, 2018. If it breaks down and you call them, they will tow it to a dealership. Well, wait a minute. So if you already own one, you yes. can get this? Yes. Wow, that's, that's Any insane. Volvo, they will tow to a dealership. Nice. And if you have an accident... They will, uh, when in the modern Volvos, it senses you've had an accident, it will send you um, uh, help on what to do, what forms you have to fill out for where you are, uh, how to contact your insurance company, and that sort of thing. It's all very depressing thinking about having accidents in these vehicles as well, by the way. It is uh, depressing. The VW Arteon was also on Run to the Sun. Mark Gilly's going to join us to talk about that. We're going to talk about what to do if you nicked your wheels, um, if you curb them. Do you, have you ever curbed a wheel? Oh, constantly. Really? Yeah, I slam into curves all the time. I've, my, my minivan's long, so sometimes uh, it's just, you know, oops. Can we do a video one day just going through your minivan? <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> Nobody should see that. How are the carpets in the back? They're pretty rough. Are they? Well, yeah. I've raised three kids in them for 13 years. <laughs> they got out of it at some point. They weren't in it for the whole 13 years. No, but it doesn't matter. It was as if they were. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Did you ever get the stains out of the carpet? No, of course not. <sighs> I'm actually frightened now of your minivan, period. Um, we're also going to talk uh, to Anton Woolman, who's our independent analyst and investor. Uh, I recently went on the Lincoln Corsair event. This is uh, the Corsair, if you are unfamiliar with it, is was announced at the New York International Auto Show. It is the same base vehicle as the Ford Escape, so it's the same size. But I have to tell you, although oh, so it's, small. it's a smaller SUV, okay. it's not tiny. It'll be the smallest Lincoln available. But I will tell you something about this. The Escape is a nice vehicle. I agree. Just leave it there. Nice vehicle. The Corsair, so much better. The application of this vehicle that they put into place was absolutely outstanding. Uh, it shows me what they could have done with the Escape. And they, I mean, they didn't because it's a much less expensive version of the vehicle. But it has... So many pieces of equipment on it that I just can't believe that no other manufacturer has ever put in cars. For instance, I'll give you an example. If you want to make any seat adjustments, I mean, it's on the door, but if you want any seat adjustments like heat, cool, everything, there is a single button on the door that you press, and it brings up from the door, it'll bring up all of the seat uh, settings in the center screen, including massage, all five different kinds of massage you can get it, including heated, cooled, changing every shape, angle, and position of the seats up to 24 different positions. How is the just, lumbar so Just Oh, it has three different lumbars. What? Yeah, it's, it is absolutely outstanding. Now, I don't like any lumbar support. 
Um, I, I like, want it all. You do? Yes. You like to have your lower back lumbar out? Yep. I want to be sitting what were you? Did you just thrust your hips forward? Yeah. No. Is that, is that what happens when like, you do lumbar spine? Like, I was just doing an example of what it looks like. And? That's when you press it's the lumbar spine. more lumbar comfortable. Song. Is it? Because yeah. it sure didn't look comfortable from what I just saw. Whatever. Um, and the fact is you can have the, the massage going and all those type of things. And who? Why hasn't someone thought about putting a button in the door for this before? The other thing I love well, about why this. why does it need to be in the door? Why can't it be in the center? Because, because you both have, you press it on your side or the driver presses it on their side. And it opens up the driver's seat and it'll open up your seat. I mean, doesn't Mercedes so, have it in the door? No, not a button that opens up all of the controls of the seat. Okay. Everything. It'll have the seat adjustment, but it won't have a button that opens up heating, cooling, massage, um, you know, moving this, the air around the seat's lumbar. And does it have a memory so you can save all those preferences? Yeah, it saves them every time you turn it on and off the car. Um, but if you want to increase the heat or the cool, uh, it reset that to zero every time. Can it sense who is driving the car? Yes, it'll do that. Um, it, it. The other thing I love about the new Corsair is, and I can't believe someone else hasn't done this, so when you're driving and you want to use voice activation, what would you do? What would you do? Push well, you just press Push the button, yeah. Where? On the steering wheel. Right. This button is actually where your thumb is. So the button to do voice activation is where your thumb is. And you can't just accidentally rub your thumb across and hit it. You actually have to push it in with your thumb quite deep to make it activated. So it's but on the outside It's of the in the inside wheel? of the steering wheel where your inside. thumb would go. So it's right sits there where your thumb is and you move your thumb up and you push it in and it activates the voice. Now, I think that's brilliant apart from looking, uh, looking down and looking at the T of the steering wheel and seeing exactly where the button is. Oh, yeah, there's the voice button. I'm well, when it. I was driving the Chrysler Pacifica, I was surprised how much stuff was behind the steering wheel. Yeah, they It's have, interesting to see where they're putting stuff now. Chrysler do a lot behind the steering wheel. Volume and uh, yeah. I think the, the button is there to increase the cruise control speed and... Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's behind the steering wheel. And you can toggle through stuff too. Steering wheels got too complicated for me. They get too complicated for you? There's so many menus in steering wheels now. No, Tactile it hasn't gotten no, got too complicated for me. Really? Not yet. Uh, yeah. The Mercedes has gotten pretty complicated on the wheel. Yeah, there's, there's probably like 15 buttons or something on the wheel. Yep. It's so the Corsair replaces the MKC, and mm -hmm. the best part of that is it actually has a name yes. and not letters anymore. We actually have a secret... Uh, we think that the uh, MKZ, uh, which is their um, sedan, we think next year, next April, New York Auto Show, it's going to be replaced by the Zephyr. The, the Zephyr coming back. Yeah, we think that we think they're going to replace by the Zephyr. That's the in, that's the rumor. I mean, I could well be proved wrong. I think I've been wrong once in my life before, so the, the chances are I could be wrong. But that's the secret. And hopefully, it will be better than the last Zephyr, which <laughs> was just a rebadged Granada. Wasn't it a boat the last one? I just remember Zephyrs always being big boats. Uh, it was a rebadged Granada. Really, Ford Granada, and that was a European version of the Ford, wasn't it? The no, they sold it here badly. Did they? Badly. Oh. They've had some great successes with the, uh, the Ford Motor Company with things like the Taurus, which is now gone. But, uh, you know, that was the best-selling car in the United States at one point before the Camry took over, I believe. I mean, it was so spacious. No, it was for the time. 
mm-hmm. for the time. All right, we've got all that coming up in our auto expert show. Uh, I'm going to enjoy talking about uh, the new Dodge Challenger. And also coming up next, Russell Datz is going to be here to talk about Care by Volvo, where you can get your vehicle towed for life. And by the way, if you need it servicing as well, Megan, you can actually have somebody come to your house, pick it up, and take it for service as well. Are you serious? If it's a Volvo, not they're not going to do it for a Honda Odyssey 1932 uh, minivan or whatever year your is. Hmm. Well, one of these days I will replace that van. Will you? Any day now. How long have I known you? A long, long time. You've been saying the same thing ever since I've known you. That's good. Right, it's about time you actually acted on your... Well, about my son car. Yeah, that's not you, though. All that coming up in Our Auto Expert next. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. You can find all previous episodes of the show at OurAutoExpert.com. Uh, the show you're listening to is going to live there eventually. Uh, you can also uh, see some of our automotive videos and read inside car stories all online at OurAutoExpert.com. Plus, of course, you can get a good a lathering of all of our social media stuff, which uh, Jen and Megan, who are in the studio with us here, uh, are are forging as we speak, They're taking pictures of me and, and posting them. Uh, I I have a one of the things I have with my family is you always want your family to be safe. And even though uh, there are a lot of safe car companies out there, the one company that sort of sticks on the top of the pile is always Volvo as one of the safest car companies. But they're branching out from the performance and the safety and the, the very clean Scandinavian designs to doing uh, a lot more with making it easier to own a Volvo. They introduced a program a little while ago called Care by Volvo, which actually uh, is expanding almost on a uh, monthly basis to include different things. Joining us on the phone, Russell Datz from Volvo. Russell, Care by Volvo, how would you sum that up to somebody that's never come across it? Hi, Nick. How you doing? Yeah, Care by Volvo is Volvo's exclusive subscription service. You can actually subscribe to a car right online. So similar to you with a cell phone? Similar to a cell phone, just click subscribe and drive, and it's a it's a two year program for a flat monthly rate that in, actually includes insurance, just about all other expenses too, except gas. And after twelve months, you can actually upgrade to a new car, which is great. And that this was sort of the beginning uh, for you, but you keep adding things onto this, which each time I see the sort of things you're adding on actually make my mouth drop. Uh, one of the things that uh, you taught us when I was on the recent trip to Banff in Canada with you to test drive some of your new vehicles was this new portion of uh, Volvo services, which includes the fact that you will do now, adding to that, is tow, tow for life. And is this right? I only, it doesn't matter what Volvo I buy, you'll cover it? We will, yeah. We're trying to create a real ecosystem of customer service to make people's lives easier, no matter what Volvo you have. And we also know that, uh, you know, once you buy a car, the experience of owning it shouldn't end at the, at the dealership. Uh, so Toll for Life, along with Accident Advisor and Lifetime Parts Warranty, creates this real nice safety net that makes sure that you're covered even after you buy the car. So, for example, if you have a problem with the vehicle, uh, any vehicle, it will be towed to a Volvo retailer within 25 miles for free uh, as long as you get the work done there. And any parts that are used on the car, as long as they're genuine Volvo parts, 
and installed by a technician there at the retailer is covered for life. What so if, if the if that part again uh, if that part breaks again, it's warranted. What if you're outside the 25 miles? Uh, each individual retailer can work out a special program or a special price with each customer. I mean, I, I like this idea because also once you have something fixed, if it goes bad again, you know, how many people have stories of they've gone to a dealer to get something fixed, and at this point, you know, there is absolutely no reason not to go to a Volvo dealership. Well, that's exactly right. And from from a business standpoint, that's exactly what it's intended to do. From a customer standpoint, it's supposed to drive uh, peace of mind. So, uh, you know, people now are keeping their cars on average, what, 11 years, I think it's up to right now. Right. So if you if you have a car that's, uh, you know, older than the four-year warranty or maybe it's even beyond the seven-year uh, certified program that we also offer, then uh, well, actually it's five years now. Sorry, we just changed that too. Um, then you're covered as well. So you, there's a lot of reasons to go into the retailer versus going to an independent shop where you won't get that kind of security. Now, the other thing that you introduced, which to me is a, it sort of floors me too, is you know, or Volvo know many times, uh, many car companies do, when airbags deploy, when accidents happen, when these things happen, uh, you you get a you can get a signal through the communications uh, system in the vehicle, and and you guys can step in as well, and and once you've made sure everybody in the vehicle is safe, you can actually intervene and help with the post-accident uh, amount of stuff that needs to be done. Yep. Uh, anytime any, anyone is in an accident, it's pretty stressful. And it's very difficult to keep your bearings, even after a minor one. Uh, think about how many times maybe somebody backs into you at a light or, you know, they're not paying attention and they just kind of roll into you. Or a parking lot, for example. It's, it's stressful. You're not sure what happened. It takes you by surprise. Uh, so what we wanted to do was make sure that you had everything at your fingertips to make sure that you collect the proper information and get what's needed so that your insurance company can get what they need to make sure that you're covered properly. And so how, how does the system a, it's work? An app, it's a, yep, so it's an app on the phone. And what we do is we uh, once we see that you've been in an accident, uh, we will call the car through on-call, check that you're okay, if you're okay, and the airboard, uh, even if the airbag has deployed, uh, you are you have this accident advisor to give you some kind of uh, guidepost uh, to keep yourself focused so you don't walk away and later saying, oh, my goodness, I forgot to get this bit of information or the insurance company says, you know, what's the, uh, uh, what's the other person's driver's license number? And you say, oh, well, I didn't get it. And they say, well, you know, we can't help you then kind right. of thing. So it, it just makes sure to keep you on, on task, as it were, at a time that's very, very stressful and distracting. Is there anything left for you to do? I mean, you seem to have repairs, accidents, and uh, a new car, insurance, uh, everything except for gas basically covered in your Volvo, right? Yeah, uh, we have a lot more. Uh, and w one of the things, too, that's not uh, we don't talk about much is because it's on the back end, is a new way uh, for roadside assistance calls where you can actually see where your tow truck is. So we did some research and we found that also, when, you're, when your car might have a problem, uh, you know, waiting for that tow truck can be really stressful as well because you don't know where it is. You don't know how far away it is. If you're in a bad neighborhood or it's late at night somewhere rural, you know, who knows what's going to happen when. Now, just like you see on, for example, Uber, you can see how far away your car is. We do that with our roadside assistance tow trucks. 
and and this is sort of on top of all the stuff we haven't even had a chance to talk about yet, which is like uh, the idea of helping you get your car serviced as well. So saving you some time, saving you some stress and anxiety of just the regular car maintenance. If you own a Volvo, that, that's another service that Volvo allows you to partake in. It does, yeah. And, and we're all about trying to make life less complicated for people. We've got enough going on. Time is the only uh, and only thing we can't give back. You can't get it back, right? Money you can get back, uh, things you can get back. But once time is gone, uh, that's it. So we're we're trying to approach vehicle ownership. Uh, we call it freedom to move, right? In a, in a, a safe, sustainable, a personal, safe, sustainable way. Uh, so, what do you do with your car when it's uh, not being used? So, how do we? take a, uh, and that's exactly what the Care by Volvo program is, right? Uh, when we, as a car company, uh, we have the great, as employees here, we get the great benefit of being able to have a car. Uh, and it's very easy for us to get one and own one. And we said, why don't we just expand that experience to the customer? So that's exactly what Care by Volvo is supposed to do. And all these other things that are trying to make things easier for people when they own a Volvo. Now, you've seen a big uptake in people using these systems. Uh, you, even, you, obviously, many people, when you offer them, don't always uptake and use the systems. But are you seeing Volvo customers actually taking advantage of what you're offering? We do. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but they are very excited about uh, these added benefits, the value add uh, when buying a Volvo. And it's especially helpful, too, once they learn of it, from our retail network that it's not offered by any other manufacturer. All right. How do we find out more about Care by Volvo? So the best thing to do is to go to our website, volvocars.com slash US, or just volvocars.com. And in there, uh, Care by Volvo should be right on top. Uh, the other way to do it, too, is to just Google Care by Volvo, and it'll take you right to the Care by Volvo page. All right, Russell, I'm actually very excited about this because uh, I like the idea of owning a Volvo and having it towed for life, especially. You know, I already picked mine out. out. You have? Colors, interior, this is amazing. All right, just send a note to Russell. He'll he'll get it for you. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Russell. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Care by Volvo, available through Volvo Cars. It's a really cool way of, uh, I think, owning a vehicle. Still to come on the show, we're going to talk about how to buy tires. We're also going to find out about what... Uh, what to do if you get a nick inside of your wheel. A nick, get it? All right, that's all coming up on Our Auto Expert. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. Welcome back to the show. John Vincent in the studio with us. So is Megan from mummytravels.net. Uh, Megan, uh, I went to Texas without you. <gasps> what? Um, How did that happen? Uh, yeah, well, I did. I, I, I didn't see any vegetables. I mentioned this in the last week's show. I'm sure he's lying. I guarantee he saw a vegetable while he no. was in the state. I could, well, avocado and ketchup. That's good enough. <laughs> That's a vegetable. Ketchup's a vegetable? It's made from tomatoes. In Texas, it's a, it's a vegetable. In Texas, is a vegetable. Uh, yeah, there's an awful lot of barbecue and cheese shells and uh, corn Well, you get some stuff. fried okra with your barbecue? Of course, it's fried. Corn is a vegetable, Nick. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it is. And... I think it's a starch now. It's become like the basis for the human being sugar consumption is corn syrup. That's true. So, um, yeah, but honestly, there was very few vegetables, but lots of trucks. And by the way, why is the traffic so bad in Dallas? 
Well, a lot of people live there. Yeah, they do. Uh, nine million people or something in uh, Dallas. I'm not sure, but I mean the whole the area. Metro area. It's a huge area. Yeah. Uh, that's where Capital One is. Toyota's headquarters are there. Nexstar, my TV network's there. Uh, all these different people now are in Dallas. A and lot of companies. More coming. Yeah, a State Farm just moved to Dallas. Everyone's moved to Dallas. 96 degrees, by the way. It was like mm. walking through clam chowder. Oh gosh, that sounds so amazing. <laughs> but it was yeah. a dry heat. Yeah, I don't know. It was pretty moist. There is no wind in, in Dallas, I noticed, because it's completely flat. There's no canyons or hills or lakes for the wind to roll off. I know it's awesome because you can look around and see super far. There's nothing blocking your view. Oh, I'm sorry. There's pesky mountains and trees that block your view. I hate that. Well, don't you like to see where you're going? Yeah, well, yeah, not for 200 miles. Well, well so you can see all the oil derricks. Yes. Not in Dallas, Fort Worth. You can't. You got to go out to where I'm from to see that. That's five hours down the road. Oh yeah, Odessa, right? Mm-hmm. All right. That's where all the oil is. <laughs> it's. Uh, I would just tell you the size of everybody's truck out there. My uh, one of my friends who lives out there has a BMW i3. It was like riding a scooter in yeah, traffic. I was going to say that's a bold choice. Like that is one thing. If you live out there, you got to. You have to factor that in. Like if I get hit by a gigantic truck. What vehicle do I want to be in? I don't think trucks come uh, from a dealer lot unless they have a 12-inch lift on them. That's probably true. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. When Volkswagen was selling the Phaeton, yeah. like 90% of them sold in the U.S. were sold in Dallas, Texas. Really? Because oh, it's so big. It was kind of the official car of, car of Dell Computer. Oh, okay. Mm, That's kind interesting. of interesting. Yeah, they, they were super. But the trucks, every truck is linexed and it has big star of Texas on the grill. And it's a very different uh, car market. And what do they sell? About uh, 40% of the trucks in the United States is sold in Texas? At least. Yeah, uh, everything's bigger in Texas. That is true. That's, <laughs> a, that's why you can get a Texas version of pretty much any a truck on the market. Right, well, they do those Texas versions so you can. And the other thing is, too, by the way, black interiors don't work very well in Dallas. Most people have like light brown or... Uh, so the that, dust blends in? No, yeah, not the dust, but it's uh, like you get into the vehicle after it's been sitting in the sun for like half an hour. And oh, yeah, it's like that too. three million degrees. That's true. Uh, I drove a black car in high school. That was pretty brutal. Oof. Okay. What, what temperature was it inside the car when you came out of high school? Well, say it's 100 outside. 180 inside then. I don't know, pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. it's it's eighty percent of what the exterior plus eighty percent of what the exterior temperature is. Were you driving the mini bag? Vinny, yeah. Were you no, actually, the that was a Dodge Neon. Was it? <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety five. Honda Dodge Odyssey Neon. minivan Dodge Neon. Your history of cars are very sexy. I used to have a Ford Explorer. All right, wait, you may have rescued yourself there. <laughs> it was an Eddie Bauer edition, though. It wasn't a Texas edition. It was a limited edition. Was it? Mm-hmm. It was a two thousand and two, but. Then I moved to the Pacific Northwest as two-wheel drive, and we kept getting stuck everywhere. And people were just, like, openly mocking me for not having a four-wheel drive SUV. I'm like, yep. Yep. I, I was living in Mississippi when I bought that car. Never in my life did I think I was going to move that car to the Pacific Northwest yep. and have a problem every winter. You can sell a car anytime, my friend. You can buy a new one anytime. You don't have to suffer a 2007 Honda Odyssey minivan. It doesn't bother me that much. Apparently it does, because all you've talked about on this show so far <laughs> is how crappy a minivan is. Yeah, I still, I don't know. Well, Can, I'm in a press loan today. I'm in a uh, the Chevy Blazer right? that I had last week. Yes. That's a great car. I'm it really is. enjoying that. It is. So, it's, I mean, it is red hot. Did you see how red that car is? Yeah, it's orange, actually. And the, the interior is red and black. It's flaming. 
It's my Red Raiders. It's Texas Tech Red Raiders. Oh, dear. That car is not orange. It's red. Is it? It is so red. Uh, I'd call it a ready orange. Well, what would you call the car part next to it? A ready orange. Oh, boy. Nick also apparently thinks that fire trucks are orange. <laughs> They're ready orange. Uh-oh. All right. Uh, I'm right about everything. You I didn't know, know you're colorblind. Uh, still to come, we've got more Our Auto Expert. We're going to a chance to... Uh, to have a little discussion with our friend uh, Kevin Hellman, who's going to talk about the brand new Dodge Challenger. That's nice. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Of course, you can uh, check everything out online at ourautoexpert.com. You'll also find uh, at that very place the uh, previous episodes of this show where I dog on both uh, Jen and Megan, who are both in the studio with us today. Hello. Um, do I give you a hard time? Uh, yes, like, that's all you do, actually. You know what? Everything would be better if we uh, all drove a Dodge Challenger, uh, the brand new scat pack, to be exact. Uh, Kevin Hellman is with us on the phone to talk about that. It was one of the vehicles at this year's Run to the Sun. Uh, Jen and I both got to drive it. Megan, you uh, skipped Run to the Sun this year. I did, yeah. Um, we, you would have enjoyed this vehicle very much. Kevin, the, the Challenger seems to almost be unswayed in the amount of sales. It grows constantly. You constantly come out with new versions of the vehicle, and uh, it seems to still be a hit uh, time after time. Yep. Uh, we've, uh, we've had, I mean, 2018 was the best, uh, best year that we ever had, and uh, 2019 is looking pretty good so far. So. As you mentioned, we, we've got a lot of different versions to, uh, to satisfy a lot of different tastes. Now, let's talk about the Scare Pack specifically, which is the one that was sent to uh, the Run to the Sun event, and we enjoyed driving very much. Uh, it's especially the fun because uh, Claire Carroll, who uh, you sent from the Dodge brand to sit next to us in the passenger seat, uh, she, it's really hard to phase Claire. You can put your foot down and spin those back tires out, and she doesn't. the expression on her face doesn't change. Uh, what makes the Scat Pack <laughs> different from uh, the other challenges in the brand? Uh, well, our Scat Pack uh, has a, it's a unique position in our, in our uh, lineup. So that uh, vehicle features our 392 Hemi. Uh, so it's 485 horsepower and 475 foot-pounds of torque. So it's a really nice, uh, you know, really good power output, uh, enough enough power to really put to the ground. We've got enough tire on that car, especially with the wide body. It's just a really great uh, great powertrain for that car. I mean, 0 to 60 is uh, mid to low, 4 seconds. Uh, just a blast to drive, and then with the addition of the wide body for 2019 model year, it just really, really elevated that car. Um, just a blast to drive, improved handling with the wider wheels and tires, and uh, all new um, suspension setup, and, and just uh, you know, like you said, it's just a great, uh, great vehicle to drive in. And uh, I've yet uh, been able to phase Claire as well with driving. Uh, <laughs> driving so uh, I don't think you're unique in that. This might be a challenge. I mean, it might be something that we have to do in the future is actually make Claire, Claire squirm a little bit. Uh, but it's almost I've I have floored a SRT uh, Durango with her in it, and and I mean really floored it. And she's just chatting away to me like with her head turned, not even looking forward. So she sat yep. in the back when I drove because <laughs> she, she I, sat in the back. She did, and the whole time she's like, "Oh, did you see that waterfall?" And oh, did you, and here I'm just like, "Oh, Emmy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, just having a good time the the idea kevin of the the challenges you can actually get 
uh, I'm almost 400 horsepower more. Actually, I'm almost 300 horsepower more than the Scat Pack. But the Scat Pack to me is about where you, I mean, you can use all the horsepower in it. You're not wasting any horsepower in it. If you get a sort of a Hellcat or you get a Demon, there's a lot more horsepower, but you can really never apply that to the road. Whereas you can pretty much apply 100% of what the Scat Pack has to offer to the road. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's great to it's great to have the seven seventeen or seven ninety seven of uh, of the Hellcat or the Red Eye. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, to your point, it's very usable. I mean, it's you can really get all out of that car. Um, you know, kind of driving around town if you're if you're you know daily driving uh, a Hellcat or something like that, which you know uh, I would recommend to anyone because it's a blast. But <laughs> you're definitely not uh, requiring the uh, over seven hundred horsepower at the time. So uh, it is. It's just it's a great vehicle um, all around. Like I said, it's a great balance. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit lighter on the front end, so it just handles really well. Um, and just with our price point, I mean, it's the most horsepower under forty thousand. So it's just, uh, it, it really kind of hits the, the heart of the market, and uh, we've just had such success with uh, with that car. I am not uh, afraid of the Scat Pack. Uh, it doesn't frighten me. It's uh, enough for me to handle. Sometimes, if I get the red key for the Hellcat, which is, by the way, a reasonable price, around sixty, uh, just, just over $60,000. Sometimes when I get the mm-hmm. red key, I'm a little worried if I'm going to have to call Tim Kaniskas and say, um, hey, buddy, sorry, just trashed one of your Hellcats. <laughs> but not so much worried with the Scat Pack. Uh, Tim tends to be, you know, pretty forgiving when I uh, ever hurt one of his babies. However, it's it's actually manageable as well. Uh, is it as reasonably priced as the Hellcat? Uh, yeah, I mean the the Scat Pack itself starts out at uh, thirty eight nine nine five, so you know about a thousand under uh, under forty, and then with the wide body, you're just under about forty five. So, uh, I mean, you know, in terms of uh, performance cars and, and muscle cars, it's you know, very uh, very affordable, very attainable. And to your point, I mean, it's a it's a very um, very open drive in terms of you know you don't have to get in and scare yourself or anything like that it, you can kind of grow with it learn with it and the 45 is very approachable um to enjoy it but not uh you know not get yourself a little scared while you're out there so um and, and i think that's kind of the you know the part of the personality of the car i mean you know plus everything else uh that the car's got on it are the little signature bees that we have on the scale uh, on the scat packs kind of a the nod to the heritage cars so um just a cool all-around package that i think uh there's just so many different facets that that um, people are kind of drawn to on that car. I I will tell you that um, one of the things that your competitors do is they have a timer on the vehicle that uh, if you start it between you know like uh, 8 p.m. and and 6 a.m. it doesn't give the full roar of the engine if you use the automatic start. But it but I don't know. Do you have something like that on this where you can quiet? We, we it don't down? have. You see, I like no, that. If you don't have it, I like that because if I'm going to spend that much on a cool car, I want to wake my neighbors up when I use the automatic start. <laughs> exactly right. I was like, you know, uh, yeah, I spend that much. I want to make sure everyone hears it. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what I? I had a scat pack when I was in San Diego um, visiting the beach, and I parked it uh, across a park from the restaurant I was in, and people were going walking past it, and the automatic start was great fun because I would start it, and it went <laughs> blah 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 blah, blah and, and everyone would turn around and look at it like, what? What was that? What just started? And then I turn it off from the restaurant, and I start it again. <laughs> Um, I know. Exactly. It's it's a bit teasy and it's a bit show offy, but uh, it was fun. And the other thing I, really, I, I mean, uh, the, go ahead. I was gonna say the other thing I really like is the names of the colors of the cars. 
F8 yeah, green. I mean, all, all those things have to do with the, the personality of the car. I mean, exhaust included, right? I mean, we, we put crazy color names, bright colors on there. And, um, I mean, I don't think a whole lot of people are buying a Challenger to blend into the crowd. Right. Um, the design <laughs> itself is very heritage, right? I mean, it looks like a car that came out of the 70s. If you... You put someone in a, in a uh, you know time warp from seventy that came out, they'd know that's a challenge. They might look at our competitors and not know what that is. So yeah, but um, hell raising. I mean, that is just oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, when you you had a green color that was on the Viper at one point uh, that were called Snot Green. Was it really called <laughs> Snot Green, or was that just what internally you called it? I think that was uh, I think that was a uh, a customer. Oh, that's what they call it. Got built on the one of one. Yeah. All right, yeah, the one. That's right. It was the one on one Viper. I because that was a little bit much for me. I mean, I, I'm getting yeah, that was the snot rocket. I think. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to winter. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. The the whole mantra. Now you really improved the interiors. Uh, I guess up until uh, two or three years ago, the interiors were fairly basic, but you guys really stepped it up on the interior, and the interiors have got quite a refresh on the insides of the Challenger. Yeah, with the MCA back in uh, 2015 was kind of the first round, and then over time we've increased, you know, uh, put nicer materials and things like that in, uh, into the Challenger. And a lot of it has to do with, with feedback from our customers. I mean, a lot of things that they tell us are continue to bring back colors that you haven't. Uh, that's one of them that we always get. Uh, more power, of course, and so you can see that we deliver on that. Um, but then it's also, you know, we, we think that this should look nicer. We want, you know, more options here or there. So even for uh, for 2020, we have a new... Um, we have an updated uh, IP uh, instrument panel and doors on the Challenger, similar to what we launched in 2019 on the Charger. So a nicer, uh, nicer looking material, um, and then it has like a live stitch in there on all of our leather cars to just kind of tie in the IP a little bit more and kind of just uh, deliver a further upscale uh, interior with the Laguna leathers and Napa leathers that we have in our interior. So uh, again, just continue to listen to the customer and uh, and kind of push the envelope there as well. Uh, one of the things that uh, is obviously been hanging over your heads, and we probably can't talk about future product, but this is one of the oldest platforms out there, and yet it still has one of the uh, the biggest sales numbers. I mean, people are, even though this vehicle has been around for many, 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 many years, and the platform is 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 fairly old. People still just can't get enough of this. But moving forward, uh, have Dodge said anything about what's going to happen as this vehicle evolves, or do you just not mess with what's selling well? I, you know, like you mentioned, I can't, I can't speak to anything in the future. <laughs> but as far as as far as the, the success of the car, I mean, I don't think customers necessarily really care uh, about the age of the platform, unless it's really adding a downfall to the vehicle. So. Um, the nice thing about the platform that we're on is it's allowed us to do a lot of things that have helped make us, make us successful in terms of uh, the bigger horsepower. I mean, having uh, a, uh, a platform that can support a vehicle like the Demon in 2018. I mean, those are all things that we've we've been we've benefited from uh, on this platform. And then also, the, the more that we're it, you know, it's kind of like a family member, right? The more that you know them, the more that you can kind of you know what they like, you know what works best for them, and so we can kind of leverage those benefits and turn that into. Uh, into a better vehicle increasingly over time. So uh, I think that's why the Challenger continues to get better, um, you know, over time. And, and we continue to, you know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, we offer different, uh, you know, different versions. And, and this vehicle can support that from the 1320 drag car to the wide body scat pack to the 797 red eye to the all wheel drive GT. I mean, there's, I'd, I'd argue that there's very few cars that uh, in the whole marketplace that have the same, you know, breadth of, um, 
performance and uh, and just kind of ability to stretch from a thirty thousand dollar car to uh, you know almost uh, shade under <laughs> shade under a hundred. So. I think, uh, I, you know, I think one of the things, too, that I like so much that it's a very practical car as well, because even down to things like the wheel size, uh, you know, uh, you, you guys had the wheels designed so you could actually get your hand in there and wash the wheels. There wasn't it wasn't tight. It was a you got a whole human hand inside of it. So if someone's so inclined to go out on a Saturday morning and wash their car, which most of us are too lazy to do nowadays, <laughs> but you could actually you can actually treat it like your baby and you can look after it and, mm-hmm. and wash it by hand or you know you could do the uh, ultimate other thing i guess and have the kids next door wash it they could get their little hands in their wheels (laughs) there you go for the the tighter wheels you gotta get the smaller hands right uh jen's like looking at me like have the kids wash my car i wouldn't let them touch it no never (laughs) yeah Yeah. then you get the don't you get the rocks drug all over your paint no one wants that and (laughs) you know people put you know their cars through car washes as well jen i know that's a shock to you (laughs) jen 80% 80% of America uses car washes. It's a shock to Jen as well. Um, uh, so tell us, what is the what is the Challenger start at, and where does the Hellcat, uh, where does the Scat Pack sit? Uh, the Scat Pack's right in the middle of the lineup. Again, starts at uh, 38995. Um, that's the model right underneath the Hellcat, which starts at 58995. Uh, and then we have our Hellcat Red Eye, uh, which is um, around 12000 over uh, on top of the, uh, the Hellcat. Uh, and then our uh, red eye wide body starts at around seventy six thousand. So uh, from the base SXT, which starts around twenty eight, um, all the way up to the Hellcat, we like I said, we've got a a wide range, um, different challenges for different folks. Uh, from those that just like the retro styling to those that want uh, the biggest numbers they can find. So. Um, again, a challenger for everybody, and we're happy to deliver. Kevin, I'm sure that I could probably uh, go to Dodge.com uh, and build one myself in any way, shape, or form that I want it and make all the – I mean, I might not be able to get snot green, but at least I can get some <laughs> cool colors, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We've got a exciting colors for 20, and, and like you said, you can get out there, build them price, check them out, um, and we'll be, uh, we'll be having some more stuff to share here in the future. Are the matte colors still pretty hot? I'm sorry? And the matte colors still pretty hot? Uh, yeah, well, we don't have any matte finishes, but we have what we call straight shades, basically the non-metallics, like our Destroyer Gray, um, which is a super popular color um, for us on both Charger and Challenger. And so uh, we'll continue to kind of go, you know, our, our design team does a great job of keeping us within trends. And like I said, on the 20, we launched uh, Hellraisin that uh, Jen mentioned earlier, and we've got Cinnamon Stick and Frostbite oh. Blue. So my head is spinning. Modern my head is spinning. Uh, Ke- Kevin Hellman <laughs> from Dodge, thanks for joining us. Dodge.com is where you can find out more about that. Coming up, we're going to check out Care by Volvo. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert. Of course, you can catch up with previous episodes of the show at our website, ourautoexpert.com, and hear all the past shows, see our automotive videos, and read inside car stories about your next ride. You'll find it, find it all at ourautoexpert.com, or you can join us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and start a conversation with us. Uh, we love to hear from you. Uh, Megan and Jen in the studio with us today. and um, We're talking to a friend of the show who uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to uh, in a little while here. Um, he's the guy that makes all of our vehicles look pretty. He made my new Lexus GX look very pretty. Uh, it's Pat from Wheelcraft Northwest, and Pat... Um, how would you sum up Wheelcraft Northwest? Everything wheels? 
Uh, well, we usually say scratches, scrapes, nicks, dings, and bends. We fix wheels. So, all right. Uh, just about anything to, to, that we need to do to, to make your wheels roadworthy again or to make them pretty. Yeah, I mean, not so ugly. I, I find that uh, a lot of the, um, I, I don't always buy new cars, but when I buy a used car, I like to at least jazz the wheels up because that's one portion of the car that you can make it look extremely outstanding, get everybody excited about the vehicle just by looking at the wheels or the dubs, as the kids would say these days. Uh, you obviously paint wheels, you spray wheels uh, if you want to change your wheels, colors changing, but you can get quite creative as well. I mean, you've got creative wheels in the past. Uh, by doing uh, two tones, pinstripes, all those type of things. So, is it as endless as the artist's imagination? Well, yeah. I mean, you come in with an idea, and we usually can figure out a way to make it happen for you. Um, you know, one example, that many that we did, um, we matched the leather seats in the car, uh, and and managed to make the wheels look very, very similar to the seats. And uh, you know, that's just not something you do every day, but it's something that you can certainly do. Uh, if it's requested. Right. So color is, is a complete option. Now, there's obviously uh, other things you can do with the wheels apart from spraying them. Uh, is Do you just keep it to the paint, or uh, have you tried any other it's crazy powder thing? Coating. Powder coating. I'm sorry? It's the powder coating. Nick is referring to the difference in powder coating. Oh, yeah, we do powder coating as well. So... Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of different things that we can do with powders, but we do, most of our colors are going to be uh, painted. I mean, we usually put down a powder coat um, primer. Once the primer's down and cooled off, we'll resand the wheels, get them all nice and smooth, and then spray on a, an appropriate color. Uh, and we can match almost anything. We can match the color of the car. We can match the color of your daughter's eyes, if that's what you want. <laughs> and, um, you know, then we spray the wheels out with, uh, PPG paint when they're sent through the oven again, and we uh, we powder coat them with powder coat clear, acrylic powder coat clear, just to make sure that they uh, they stay looking nice and clean and uh, fresh constantly. I mean, I've never nicked a nail in my wife in my life. I've never damaged a wheel ever. Well, maybe <laughs> one or two, but my other half has uh, has a history of damaging wheels. So this is another thing that uh, a wheelcraft uh, does is you really save us from our other halves when they when we've curbed a wheel or they've curbed a wheel. I, I have I have friends who uh, constantly tell me about their other half curbing wheels on vehicles and how absolutely tragic it is but uh, wheelcraft can jump in and uh, make the wheel alike new again yeah well that's that's basically what put us in business is uh, all the wheels going away from uh, steel and hubcaps to an aluminum wheel and uh, you know painted in a variety of different types of finishes and we figured out how to repair the vast majority of those types of finishes um, you can just, we, we sand them out we have mobile teams that come out to your, your home or office. We get the wheels cleaned up and sanded out. Um, we'll paint them with a matching finish. And then, um, those we do use a liquid clear coat, clear coat them back in, blend everything together and make it look as close to factory original as possible. And, uh, that way you don't have to look at that nasty curb damage on your wheel for months and months. Right. It is there at some point people bring in wheels and you're just like, uh, no, this is um, I can't, I can't help you, or is is it pretty much like you can you can fix almost anything? Well, we can fix very nearly everything, but the 
um, biggest thing that we have is that sometimes, especially aftermarket wheels, are sometimes so inexpensive to purchase that it doesn't make sense to do our particular type of uh, restoration on a wheel when the wheel only costs 80 bucks in the first place. Um, so aftermarket wheels are one of those places where sometimes, you know, we, we realize that some wheels are just so cheap and so cheaply built um, that trying to fix them up uh, isn't co- going to be cost effective. And so at this point, uh, you know, you, when someone has a damaged wheel, they would, would, do they come into you or do you come to them and uh, then you give them a quote on site? Um, or do you like to, a pretty good idea of what you're going to have to do before the? I mean, you guys gave me incredible service. You picked up my vehicle and everything, but I'm sure you don't do that for everybody. Uh, well, typically what we do is uh, people go find us online at uh, wheelcraftnorthwest.com or www.wefixwheels.com and fill out a form. And one of the things we really appreciate is getting a photograph or two of the damage right. and then the style of the wheel, just so that we understand what's the project. Um, sometimes we do need you to bring it into the shop because of the type of a finish. Sometimes right. we can come out and fix them on site. kind of depends on the customer's expectations and kind of how complete a repair they want. All right, so the best the best place to start is at the website, right? That's the best place to start, sure. All right, and then... Or you uh, can always call the office. Okay, and how do we get hold of you guys at the office? Uh, phone number at the office is in Vancouver. It's 360-546-1799. Or, like I say it, uh, wefixwheels.com. All right, and if you're around the country, presumably uh, you'll be able to recommend somebody probably in there, everybody's neck of the woods to be able to help fix this, the, the wheels, right? We have an awful lot of friends and partners uh, around the nation, sure, that we refer people to. You know, every so often we'll get somebody that will find us on our website and then say, well, who's local here in New Jersey or, or in Miami or whatever it is? And we can usually refer you to somebody, sure. Perfect. So uh, you can at least start with the guys at Wheelcraft North, Wheelcraft Northwest, and uh, and and don't you don't have to leave it until the spring to actually repair all those dings that you made on uh, on the wheels while you were trying to avoid that snowy and uh, icy weather. Which I'm sure the busiest part of the year is the spring, but uh, Wheelcraft Northwest would probably love to see you before. Pat, thank you for joining us. Now we know how pretty we can make the wheels on our vehicle, and thank you by the way for making the Lexus GX look so pretty. Uh, it does look outstanding. Wheelcross, Wheel, Wheelcraft Northwest is the website. Uh, coming up on the show, we still have a whole bunch of stuff to go. We're going to get a chance to talk to Anton Wallman. Uh, he's our independent analyst and investor. We're going to talk an awful lot about what's going on at Rivian, the first company, the first electric truck company to really be putting an electric truck out there. And also, how do you buy tires? We're going to find out that and more as our auto expert continues. And don't forget, listen to this show and any previous show online at ourautoexpert.com You're listening to Our Auto Expert Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to southeast, this is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, of course, we'll feature it. And one of the cars that has a very nice throttle, and we uh, got to drive as part of the Northwest Automotive Press Association's Run to the Sun recently, was the VW Arteon. And to join us on the phone to talk about that, Mark Gillies from VW. Uh, Mark, is you, know, you guys kind of cornered the uh, four-door coupe a while ago, and this is the latest generation of that four-door coupe. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, we had the CC beforehand, and um, 
the Arteon's the latest derivation. I think, you know, I, I think I'd probably say cornered the affordable four-door coupe market because uh, BMW and Audi and Ben certainly had four-door coupes um, a while ago. Yeah, this is the one that we could actually afford. I guess I should I should have I should have put that premise in the in the front of it. Uh, the the coupe as it's or the the four door car as the sedan car as itself is sort of a declining uh, one of the declining segments in car sales in the United States. Not enough to really uh, to bother the segment in in its survival, but still declining. And the gravitation seems to be towards the more sexy versions of the vehicle, like uh, you know. The the Kia Stinger and this sort of thing. Uh, they seem to be everybody's favourite at this time. And the Arteon sort of supplies that. What what happened to, what was wrong with the CC? Because I thought it was a great car. You decided to sort of update it, but change the name. Yeah, I mean, the, the concept is is good, obviously, but the CC is based on the old, old platform and the Arteon is, you know, a more modern iteration based on the MQB platform that we, you know, shared here from everything between the Golf and, and the Atlas. So it's more modern underpinnings for certain. And I think, you know, the shape is is more striking. It's a bit more um, elegant and balanced in a way because it's got a longer wheelbase and shorter overhangs. So it, it's, a, it's a little bit more aggressive and a bit more striking I think overall as a, as a design One of the challenges has sometimes been getting enough room in the back seat of those vehicles because obviously when you do a sloping roof line on that but I mean I sat in the back of the Arteon and, and moved around from seat to seat, you managed to sort of even though you've got that sloping roof line still reclaim quite a bit of back seat room Yeah that's one of the things, I, I was actually travelling in the back seat um, at the, we did a drive earlier on this year and I was sitting in the back seat behind a, a, a pretty big journalist and I was surprised by how much leg room is. I think we claimed 40.2 um, inches of rear seat leg room. And the other thing, because it's a, got a hatchback as well, um, it's got 27 cubic feet of uh, trunk space behind the seats and 55 cubic feet with the, the seats folded. So it's actually pretty big amount of luggage space in there as well. Um, one of the things I think I like about it too is the fact that the car, uh, from its presence on the road, you've managed to keep a sort of really high belt line, but still the greenhouse uh, viewing out of the vehicle looks good. You're able to see uh, uh, everywhere around, and often uh, you get into some of these vehicles that have a high belt line, and I can't even see the front fenders. Well, and I think that's something, you know, I, I'm still a car fan at the end of the day. I know the market's gravitating heavily towards trucks and SUVs. You know, 70% of the vehicles being sold nowadays are um, trucks and SUVs. I, I like the fact that, you know, in a car you sit low, but you have a lower belt line. And like you say, um, and a bigger greenhouse area compared to the amount of metal. And I like the fact you can see all the corners. A lot of SUVs, um, you know, they're like... I don't know what they're like. They're, they're just in, in a tiny amount of glass relative to the depth of the bodywork. Um, it's kind of like a lot of SUVs nowadays look like Cruella de Vil cars in terms right. of proportions of, of, of glass to, to body size. Yeah, they also they they feel very uncomfortable when I look at them too. And I find it hard to believe that some people find beauty in those. I think the other thing about the Arteon is quite impressive, and it and it goes for the Passat too. I don't actually quite know how you get so much back seat room out of it because nobody else. I mean, a lot of times when I go on VW events, you'll use uh, a Passat or a, an Arteon to pick us up at the 
airport and we ride of course in the back seat of the vehicle and i'm i'm always surprised it almost seems like a short walk to get to the front seats there seems to be so much leg room in there no other manufacturer seems to be able to do that and and give so much rear leg room they're always struggling and to actually find room in the back yet you've managed also not to compromise the trunk space in doing that no i think one of the things about the company in fact somebody I know who used to work for GM and did comparative vehicle analysis said this. He said that if you look at it, uh, the way we package vehicles, we're very good at it. And I think one of the reasons for that is essentially we're a small car company. So, you know, if you build a Golf, you know, or a Polo or something like that, you've got to try and maximize the amount of space you get for everything. So when you have a bigger canvas, um, whether it's, you know, an Arteon or a Passat, or even an Atlas, we actually managed to get an awful lot of trunk space and leg room in there because we're used to um, packaging very efficiently because, you know, our base core expertise over the years um, has been in small cars. Right, so packing it in. Now, the Arton also starts at a fairly reasonable price. If you want uh, this this sort of thing in a higher-end performance car or a higher-end luxury car, you'll pay starting well over sort of sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars $70,000, but it starts uh, just around the, the mid-30s, right? Yeah, thirty-five, eight forty-five for the for the, for the SE, um, and it goes up to forty-four nine um, for the top-of-the-line right SEL Premium. Um, with the SC and the SEL um, four motion all wheel drive is I think eighteen hundred dollars extra, but four motion is standard on the SEL premium. Um, and you get, you know, if you go for the top of the line, you get some pretty nice luxury features like massaging driver's seat, heated steering wheel, a uh, bunch, bunch of driver assistance systems as well so it, it, it gets very well equipped by the time you get up get to the SEL. i'm trying to think of another um, family manufacturer that offers massaging seats i can't actually think of one you usually have to step up to a luxury car to get massaging seats don't you uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't look as carefully as competitors as I used to. <laughs> I mean, just I can't think. I can't think of a, a you know a non-luxury car that I've been in in the last couple of years that had massaging seats, which is to me is is kind of an interesting thing. You managed to also get fairly good fuel economy. You broke the 30, 30 mile a gallon uh, on the highway mark as well, which is again for such a long vehicle, which actually has like one hundred and ninety one inches long. That's pretty outstanding. Yeah, I think I think the fuel economy is reasonably good for sure. Um, you know, I think the performance is good on the car as well. It's basically a detuned Golf R engine uh, with with a decent amount of torque. So it's one of those funny cars. We we don't call it like a a, a, a sports car. We call, refer more to it as like a GT, a traditional old fashioned GT. In other words, you know, it'll carry four people and their luggage across country very right. fast, very very comfortably. Right. Um, but it, but it's not as such an out-and-out more sporting car like a Golf RS, for instance. Now, currently to 268 horsepower, um, it screams to to sort of have a performance version of this vehicle. Do you think you'll you'll ever make one? Um, I would say watch this space. <laughs> I, 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 wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if our friends are... 
GmbH in Germany aren't looking at it, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's don't get me wrong, it's completely adequate and I enjoy driving it, but ultimately, uh, you know what it's like as a, as, a, as a guy, you always want to just edge the horsepower up just a little bit, and I keep thinking it, why did they put a detuned Golf R engine? Can't just put a regular Golf R engine? It has to be like a little more fun to drive. Uh, it is. It also has the option of uh, going to 20-inch wheels as well, which, that, again, I... I find it hard to find other vehicles in that price range that get such big wheels out of it, which obviously make it look a lot better. Yeah, the 20-inch wheels are pretty stellar, to be honest. And, uh, I mean, one of the nice things about the car is it has um, what we call DCC, which is adaptive damping. And that's a nice feature in that you can actually um, get pretty good body control right. um, with a relatively... I wouldn't say soft ride, but a well-controlled ride, um, and you can play with the settings, and you can actually, you know, you can actually have it pretty soft for driving on the highway if you want. Right. But if you put it in just a standard mode, the nice thing is it reacts to cornering inputs or to G's and stiffens the, the shocks and, and up. Um, but when you're riding along on the highway. Um, it goes to a softer setting, so it's actually pretty, it's pretty pliant as a ride. It's intelligent. It's, it's good, it's good to yeah, it's fairly intelligent. It does what I need it to do, and of course, you know, uh, that Nicole and Will allowed us to uh, play with it at Run to the Sun. Thanks for sending it, by the way. If you want to find out more, of course, you, you just go to, to VW's website. The CC is there. You can build one and enjoy it. Thanks, Mark, for joining us. Coming up next, more our auto expert. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert. Find us online at ourautoexpert.com. All right, Anton Warman joining us again this week to talk about specifically uh, Rivian and electric trucks. So it looks like this is a company that is not backing down. They, they had a product. They seem to be buying a factory. They're making the product. Is the Rivian dream a reality, or uh, are there still bumps in the road for them? Well, I think at this point, we have to assume that it's very much real, because what we suspected back in the early spring, when Amazon invested a rumored $440 million, it was basically a $700 million round of which... Uh, uh, Amazon contributed supposedly $440 million. Everybody asked at the time, why do this precisely? And a lot of pe people speculated about the, the possibility that they would be ordering uh, all-electric delivery vans from Rivian. And now we know it was true. Those uh, rumors, permonitions, theories, whatever you want to call them, the people who said that at the time, they were indeed right because Jeff Bezos here just recently announced that they are ordering 100,000 of these delivery vans to be delivered by the year 2030, starting in small scale at the very end of 2021 and with the volume deliveries starting already in 2022. Now, are Rivian going to be ready for that? Well, that's the big question. You'd have to believe that uh, they wouldn't make this announcement this way and having all of their insights as a major shareholder now without being able to um, to deliver on that. I mean, you could assume that you may only see maybe 100 or so units in 2021 and then up to as many as 10,000 of them rolling off the line in 2022. Keep in mind that as a delivery van, their testing and verification standards may not have to be as um, 
comprehensive and drawn out in terms of the calendar as they would be had this been a regular passenger car that uh, mere mortals have to drive and uh, and uh, therefore the associated liabilities that go along with that. There's many questions. Does the passenger truck, the SUV, uh, the truck version, does that still maintain its course of productivity and uh, and delivery? I think this strengthens the case for the truck and the SUV to become successful because if you think about it, this establishes a bit of a baseline in terms of both the financial, uh, how should I put it, the financial uh, baseline really for the company being able to order parts and get a sustaining form of business. And of course, it adds credibility that Amazon is not only an investor, but also a customer. I think this really enables the company to present itself to the vendors of all of the suppliers uh, in, ter- in terms of being a far more credible company that's actually going to be around, it's going to be around for many, many years, if not decades, and not be a some sort of a flash in the pan that'll peter out and go bankrupt in a couple of years. Now, before we have about two minutes left, but what does Jeff Bezos bring to the party apart from money and, and being a customer? He doesn't really bring much manufacturing experience, does he? Because he is basically a big warehouse company. Well, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? He doesn't need to bring anything more to the part than being, oh, by the way, the world's richest man running what is sort of, depending on your definition, becoming the largest company in the world, uh, having invested in the company and having a need for many of these delivery trucks to be deployed around the world, starting just in the United States alone. So I think that this is, um, that's really all that needs to happen here at this point. And, and really the, one of the biggest problems that all of these EV startups have faced is, is, is lack of access to capital and credibility and a firm start with an anchor customer, Amazon being an anchor customer and being an anchor investor. And oh, but put in about $500 million. So between all of those things, you have to assume at this point that Rivian is quite simply by a wide margin, the most credible of all of these brand new EV players that are entering the market in the next uh, couple of years. It does. It does seem like they are credible, and the trucks and the SUV look uh, pretty nice as well. So they've done a good job with that, and lots of thought has gone into it. When we return, let's talk a little bit about Ford and Rivian, and let's talk about the uh, the truck itself and how that uh, Rivian can produce them for Amazon and make a profit at the same time, which seems like that might be uh, super difficult. If you're listening to us now, you can listen to previous episodes of the show at our autoexpert.com if you go to the website you'll also find uh, the videos from morning television of all the vehicles that we've had a chance to review you'll see those plus you can hear of course the podcast of the previous radio shows for the last several years and if you delve into it you can also read articles on the latest vehicles some of those articles coming to you from auto shows around the world and seeing some of the new cars and concept vehicles that the that have come to uh, auto shows like Frankfurt and the ones that will be coming up from the LA Auto Show. So those things will all be found at OurAutoExpert.com. Plus, you can find an in-depth look at the news by uh, surfing our social media channels. You'll find them on Instagram, you'll find them on Facebook and on Twitter, where we keep you up to date with all the latest news. And of course, OurAutoExpert.com. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. 
Welcome back to the show. Still with us, Anton Warman, our independent investor and analyst. We're talking about Rivian, the electric vehicle company that is uh, has a factory in Normal, Illinois. Uh, Ford had somewhat of a dance with Rivian. Is that dance still continuing? It appears so. I mean, they struck this deal after Amazon put in their part of the money earlier in the spring than Ford did. So clearly Ford, when making this investment, must have known what was underway. So you have to believe that this latest move by Amazon to order 100,000 delivery vans was not a surprise to them and that it played some part in Ford making the investment in Rivian. So they have announced already at that time that uh, they're going to jointly make some sort of a new vehicle. They didn't say which type, but one that would be branded Ford, and they didn't say where it was going to be manufactured. So I think that those plans, we have to assume at this point, are unchanged and unaffected by what was announced here most recently by Amazon in their capacity as a large-scale customer for Rivian. Uh, Ford have also said that they'll continue the down the path of making their very own electric F-150. Correct. The Ford F-150 version that is all electric, not a hybrid, but just pure electric, was already relatively deep into development. And what we mean by deep into development means at least in the ballpark of about two years when this whole thing uh, transpired here in the spring of 2019. So, uh, and they also subsequently showed here, I think it was maybe, was it early August or something like that? Ford showed uh, a towing exercise in which a development prototype of the F-150 towed a bunch of railway railway cars that weighed uh, something like a million tons or whatever it was. I mean, it was a fantastically large number, which, of course, given the low rolling resistance and the yeah, overall the constraints of the test doesn't really mean all that much, but it's a cool test to show, and uh, they are definitely on it. And I think uh, all the indications are, and Ford has basically confirmed that the all-electric F-150 will be in the market before the end of 2021. That may be December 21, 2021, but nevertheless, before the end of 2021, that's when they've said this truck is coming to market. Now, of course, Ford also uh, will be bringing their, I think it's lovingly called the Mach 1 or the Model X, uh, their version of the electric SUV to the LA Auto Show. So they're quite deep into electric vehicle development. Yes, they are. That vehicle has been development now for multiple years, and uh, they are only a couple of short months away from uh, unveiling it. And uh, they, uh, if, if all of the information that we have had for quite some time now is correct, it's supposed to go into production in Ford's major factory in Mexico in April of 2020, and uh, therefore realistically be on sale in the U.S., possibly as early as July of 2020. So for Ford to unveil this vehicle at the L.A. Auto Show, uh, I don't know for a fact whether they will do that or not, but it certainly would seem to make sense. The timeline makes all the sense in the world, so I certainly wouldn't bet against that. 
Uh, one of the things that was interesting at the announcement of Ford's Corsair, which happened at the uh, LA, sorry, at the New York Auto Show this year, and it's just been available for ride and drives with the, the journalists, was uh, when they announced the Aviator, there was a GT, a plug-in hybrid version that had 400 horsepower. When they announced the Corsair, there was a lack of a GT version, a plug-in hybrid version of this vehicle, and so the 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 pretty much certain rumor is that we'll get to see that at LA too, but uh, will it be more electrified than the GT version of the Aviator, you think? Well, I think the powertrain pollinations between these unibody SUVs between Ford and Lincoln here that are coming out now in a fast-paced manner, two and three rows once alike, the longitudinal engine uh, ones, the larger ones alike, as well as the transverse ones, the smaller ones like the Ford Escape alike, all of them uh, should basically be seeing the same powertrains between the Lincoln and the Ford version. So there's some staggering going on with respect to the announcements of them. For example, on the larger one, the uh, Ford Explorer, it is going on sale at the end of this year in Europe as a plug-in hybrid. Now, as you know, in the beginning here, there is no plug-in hybrid version available of the Ford Explorer. There's only a plug-in hybrid version of the Lincoln version, the Aviator, Aviator available in the U.S. So there, I think they're just staggering the introductions of these by a few months, maybe up to a year, just to try a little bit different here, a little bit different there, depending on some market and geographical requirements and, and so forth. So I don't, I don't think that it really means much in the end. I think they all, all of those roads all end up in Rome, which is to say, all variants will become available on uh, in both under both brands. Just takes a little amount of time now. Obviously, Ford deep into the electrification of their brand. General Motors, we know, deep into the electric electrification of their brand. They have the Bolt. They have a new Bolt version coming out. Uh, they're rumored to be developing several more electrified uh, platforms over the next year. But there seems to be a, a notable absence from of the Fiat Chrysler automobile group of anything electric. Have they completely abandoned? in their plans or are they still top secret no i mean i think in a, when it comes to the all electric stuff the only brand that had announced something that they were going to do it until here recently was maserati and i think uh basically the other brands have really focused on coming out with plug-in hybrids i mean here in the u.s i think the one that will shock most people is going to be the uh, Jeep Wrangler, which is going to come out also here in the very first quarter of 2020. I mean, think about it. We're only a very small number of months away from this, and I don't know when they will show us this and show us the specs of the uh, plug-in hybrid Jeep Wrangler, but I have to believe it's pretty soon because the production is starting in January, uh, and then they've already shown the details of the Jeep Compass and the Jeep Renegade plug-in hybrid versions, and they're moving the Compass uh, production also to Italy for the first time, uh, having previously made it in in Mexico and other places. So um, clearly attacking and defending and being able to be relevant in the European market uh, is going to uh, uh, enable, it's going to in, in enable 
Jeep to do that with these new models. And of course, the Wrangler will be a bit of a one of a kind for the U.S. market here in 2020. So they do have some of these things that are interesting. They had a recent announcement for Maserati, which was extremely confusing. And it was extremely confusing as to how it differed from their previous outline of their roadmap that they did in early June of 2018, the sort of the last uh, public appearance of some sort of Sergio Marchione when they explained what they had in mind for Maserati. It was actually Tim Kaniskas, who was head of the brand at that time, but is no longer, who made that presentation. And uh, it was bewildering as it was back in June of 2018. And now they come out here in uh, in about uh, September of 2019 and come with another somewhat bewildering and confusing an announcement as to what is going to happen with Maserati's electrification. And it's clear that it's mostly, but not exclusively, but mostly also plug-in hybrids. So Maserati also uh, um, taking everything back to Italy, um, which is, of course, where they were originally from. And uh, they're housing the brand much more solidly back in Italy when they had a headquarters in uh, in what in De- Michigan uh, at the uh, pre- basically the FCA headquarters. But they recently announced that they were going to be concentrating back on their roots in Italy. Yeah, the problem is in terms of concentrating on their roads, ask yourself the question, why do people buy a Maserati? Um, you know, what do they what kind of product do they want? Do they want a, an electrified product, something electric, or do they want the roar of of essentially a Ferrari type V8 in a more elegant practical uh type uh, body? Um I mean is the, I mean I have to I have a hard time uh, believing that the traditional Maserati buyer is going to have a huge appetite for anything electrified. I mean, uh, it may be necessary to do this for various legal reasons, but uh, I mean, this is this is not, I think, uh, why people have been buying the Maserati brand. I think that's going to be a pretty tough uphill battle for it. I feel. Say that again, Megan. Do you think that it will attract new buyers to their brand? Yeah, maybe it'll invigorate the brand to to find new audiences. Well, clearly that would be the hope. I mean, that's the only hope that they will take at least as many buyers, new, bring them new to the brand, then they're going to lose from the brand from those who had no interest in any of the stuff. But, I mean, that's why I'm saying that this gamble is a, is a very dangerous one because it's not all that clear that of all the brands that are going to have very attractive electrified offerings over the next five or so years that Maserati is going to be able to come up with a product that's so much better than Porsche and you know so many of these other brands that they are going to be the ones that will be successful in that transition so I think that there's a lot of peril ahead for Maserati in that transition. No, I can picture all those people that love the environment, but they always wanted to own a Maserati. <laughs> yeah, I mean the other thing yeah, is too. There, there, are, there are, I think that there are approximately three of those <laughs> inside the fifty United States, maybe. <laughs> that the, the kind of the, that Venn diagram is <laughs> super paper thin. The uh, you know the only thing that I that strikes me as interesting is the Quattroporte from Maserati looks very similar to the Tesla Model S. I mean they're about the same size, they're they're about the same market uh, uh, purchaser. So uh, apart from that, uh, I wonder if they think they're going to take some of the Tesla Model S market away by electrifying something like the Quattroporte. Well, the Maserati Quattroporte has only one simple cultural identification, and that is. Miami Vice, 1986, drug dealer from Colombia. So basically, when it comes to the Maserati Quattroporte, 
you know, trying to reinvent what is the longstanding public view of your brand and brand identity to something that is so diametrically opposed to where it has been for about 30 plus years already. That's a one of the most difficult tasks you can ever imagine. And I, I rarely bet in favor of success in such uh, attempts at uh, market identification and shifts. Yeah, I'm not, I agree with you there. It doesn't seem like it's an obvious uh, thought pattern. Uh, final question as we run out of time. Uh, let's jump back to Rivian quickly. Uh, do we think that uh, you know Rivian is going to uh, make a loss on every vehicle they sell to Amazon? Or uh, are they going to eke out a profit? Because this is a company that's already made a huge loss with uh, just R&D. Yeah, I mean, this is the trickiest question. It's really one of transfer pricing. So Amazon is a minority shareholder of Rivian, but they'll be buying 100% of these trucks. So basically, do they try to make more money in their capacity as a shareholder or or in their capacity as a customer? Traditional economics would tend to suggest that they would want to favor themselves in their role as a customer, thereby pricing the product too low, meaning that Rivian would essentially break even or lose many things. On the other hand, if Amazon could make money in their capacity as their shareholder by increasing the value of the company disproportionately and have some sort of strange idea of monetizing that later, that would tend to uh, suggest that they would be willing to allow uh, Rivian to make more money on it uh, I think that this is almost impossible to tell at this stage, but I think it's under any circumstance good for Rivian because it, that this gets this gets them a baseline volume, a baseline volume upon which they can then sell all of their other recreational products like the SUV and the pickup truck to people who are definitely going to, I think, be willing to pay more than what Amazon is going to be willing to pay right. for a bunch of delivery trucks. Right. All right. Uh, finally, tell us where we can read your stuff, Anton. Primarily at SeekingAlpha.com and secondarily at TheStreet.com. And on Woolman, our independent in- analyst and investor with his crystal ball of what's going to happen <laughs> to electrification, to Rivian, to Amazon and all those things. And our crystal ball is much more certain. You could listen to previous predictions at OurAutoExpert.com by clicking on podcasts. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Our Auto Expert. And message us for a quick and witty response. Yeah.